So hello. Um, we are here today with um, Elliot, and uh, there there is a lot to catch up on. Yay! There absolutely is. I'm I'm so glad that I got to be. Was was I the first or the second person in season one? You were. I believe you were the second person. Uh, so for all of you, <laughs> I always love how I pretend anyone listens to this. Um, Ellie and I talked uh, a lot about um, uh, coming to the left, and so incidentally, we also talked a lot about uh, television programs, particularly black sales, uh, and what was involved in that. But you know, I listened to that episode last, very shortly after I recorded it, so there's a lot I'm forgetting. But what uh, we do know is that there is a lot to uh, catch up on with you, so why don't you just tell us what's been going on in your life since uh, we last had you? Well, I will say, ever since we we did that first session between you and I, 25 months ago, two over two years, the lion's share of the pandemic, I made two mistakes in that, and I have never let myself forget it. First, I accidentally attributed discourse on colonialism to Fanon, and it is not. It is... Amy Césaire, and I am, okay. I am, I am heartbroken about this, and I have never let myself uh, live that down. Well, you know, I haven't, I haven't heard about this, so uh, whatever uh, Twitter networks, uh, you know, canceled you for this, it was not mine. Fair, absolutely, and well, and then the second thing is, I got my own name wrong. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. So, uh, for your, your viewing audience and anyone who might know me from graduate school, I'm trans. So, um, I go by Ellie, which is the nice diminutive of Elliot, because I always think that Elliot was a good girl's name anyways. I did and actually mean to ask you that right before we started recording. I have a memory of you still going by Elliot from... I don't know, months ago. So I, my apologies. I, no, I failed no, no. to remind myself to do that. Elliot, Elliot is fantastic. I quite like it. I think it's Ellie a very really sexy cute. lady's name. Um, and my, a lot of my good friends call me Ellie as a, as a cute way to sort of feminize this. But honestly, I'm great with both. I don't see, I'm, I'm one of those rare few people that doesn't need to change her name to, you know, Ember or Savannah or <laughs> whatever, whatever trans oh. women are supposed to change their names to. That's harsh, man. Hey, it's, uh, I'm now a member. I'm now a member of a of a very specific persecuted minority, and that means I'm allowed to to make in jokes. And that is that's, that's trans right. women. That's right. Trans women have terrible taste in names. Absolutely. That's why terrible. people do it, right? Yeah. That's that's why they become gay or trans or whatever, 100%. just so that I can yep. for the jokes. There's a, um, there's a very excellent uh, Mick Sweeney's piece that's uh, a one-sided sort of interview where uh, a guy in high school is explaining to his his college or his football team that he's transitioning so that he can cheat at women's sports. Uh, and he's <laughs> oh, like, I, 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 he's like I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm going to slowly become a pariah in society and change every part of my uh, physical appearance and uh, distort the my, my hormones and my body and be a strange for my parents so that I have a chance of being junior varsity. Yeah, um, exactly. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, and you know, after I've done all this, I'll probably continue to try to teach and teach and treat in college. And then I'll probably just have to live as a woman after that. <laughs> Sorry, don't know what to tell you. So, um, however, I figured out I was trans well after uh, leaving high school and college. So I have no opportunity to cheat at, at sports there. So um, that is um, a perfect, actually place to start uh i was wondering when yeah when did you start to discover this or realize this or whatever the appropriate vocabulary is no that's i think that's appropriate vocabulary that's that's uh i i take no offense to that what can you know so (laughs) so it's appropriate um so let's see um uh what is a good timeline for this well a large part, of, for, for those of you who haven't listened to my first episode, um, you know, a large part of growing up in Texas was simply not knowing what you didn't know. Uh, my parents were loving and supportive. Um, they became... Were, sorry, what was that? Loving and supportive. Oh, okay. I, th- yeah. I thought I heard 
some sort of uh, religion name I'd never heard of. Before. Oh, oh, they were loving supportive. L- loving uh, and supportive. I mean, That's great. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's 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 a non-denominational church in West Texas. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, well, I mean, but that's really, that's kind of relevant to this, which is to say they, when I was very young, they were very, very Christian. And as I grew older, they moved away from the faith. Um, and, um, so it's, it's not so much that they were not bigoted or anything, but it was simply within the realm of my knowledge of the world. This was not a possibility. Um, you know, the, the only, uh, experience I had in this regard was becoming aware of, you know, uh, everyone's uh, uh, everyone's first experience of a certain age, and that is a cross-dresser in Ace Ventura. So, uh, you know, extremely awful rep. Um, right. And so it was, it was a thing that people did, but it wasn't necessarily who they were. Um, and in 2015, 2016, I started to sort of have some questions. Um, and then I played... Believe it or not, a visual novel, a video game called uh, We Know the Devil. Um, it's uh, about three kids on their at their last night of Bible camp. And someone's actually described the game as Dude, Bible camp. Video yeah. games fucking blow my mind. Like, so you can I do so many things with them. I don't. I don't game. And you know, the last time I played video games on a regular basis was when I was in middle school and I had a Super NES. I did love that. So, for example, when Aaron and I were watching The Last of Us recently, and then we like he looked up you know, if the, the gay prepper was a part of the show, and it actually was. We had made a joke about, obviously, this isn't in the video game. Or, and it turns out it was. And I'm like, fuck me, what the fuck? No wonder they make fucking shows out of video games these days. They're, like, amazing. Right? <laughs> well, I, the, I mean, video games, video games are a medium, you know, in the same way that writing or a novel is a medium. Um, and then within that medium, you have genres. Um, And in this case, this was a very targeted narrative about three high school students on their last night at Bible camp. And uh, it's been described as Bible camp gothic. Uh, And it's actually actually a very good uh, description of it. They are aware that on the last night of Bible camp, the devil will appear to one of them and tempt one of them. And who is tempted and what happens and what transformation they undergo uh, is dependent on uh, the conversations that you have and the relationships that you build between the three. Wow, that's and really cool and complex and bizarre. It is, it is. And it's, it's you know, it's only a few hours long. Um, it's not, uh, and, it enga- and it's it's completely carried on the strength of the writing there's not a shooting component there's not a collecting component you're not training pokemon you are reading well-written dialogue written by someone and then making just a handful of choices to see different scenes wow that's so cool and each what medium is this on uh, it's a it's a visual novel. Uh, no, but so I mean can, like computer. Xbox. Oh, computer, computer. Uh, you can buy it on Steam. Uh, the uh, I might I might have to play this shit now. This sounds. Really I will buy it for you. the The developer actually said that they had attempted to sell it for six dollars and sixty six cents. So uh, as as to really show where where their loyalties lie. But sorry, um, I interrupted. The thing is, is that each of the the. The devil that tempts each of the people, each of the children, each of the high school students, is both actually the devil, but also an embodiment of their own traumas or their own concerns. So one of them is dealing with chronic illness, and another is dealing with uh, depression and suicidal ideation. And the last one... um, is a small, well-meaning guy, kind of cute, humble, and um, after the devil visits him, his pronouns change. Uh, you don't get to you do you don't you do you get to see some art of how she looks different. You know, she becomes uh, angelic, 
which is the irony, of course. Um, and and to be clear, the writers support this. The writers are. This is not. This is written. This is a vehicle by which they are engaging with the monstrousness in their own lives that that the society says that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in that regard, they're not. This is not Bible camp propaganda. Um, right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I want to be clear about that be. to the readers, to the, to the readers <laughs> out there. Um, but uh, yeah, her pronouns change, and I encountered this scene not really knowing what I was getting into, and it kind of like deeply, deeply shell shocked me. To where I was like, "You can just do that. You can just change your pronouns. You can just, you can, you, you could just do that to me." You can just do that to this character that I was invested in this game. You can just... It just happens. That's... What? what? And um, it it was sort of a, you know... It was a moment where I really had to think and engage with what had happened and, and what my life up to this point, the discomfort I had felt in my own body, um, the desire to have a different body to be someone else to look in the mirror and see someone who wasn't me Mm. um and i got to see all of that through a new lens and once you have a realization like that it doesn't really go away yeah Um, sure it's like Pandora's box right Absolutely. Um, oh, the cats in the background. Oh, there's Ew, they're the doggy. Oh, 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 the dogs. Oh, right. They, they, in shadow. Yes. This is an important yeah. break from, from talking s- about me. And speaking of the... <laughs> hey, babe! <laughs> Aran's on making sure the dogs don't play in the office. That, in the background. Yeah, because he's, our, because our listeners won't get it. to see them. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he's, tr- he's trying. Yeah. Um, so... so I- if you don't mind, I'd actually would be curious to know. So you were talking about some of the things that it made you come sort of face to face with, right? And think about and how how conscious was your awareness of those experiences, right? Of being uncomfortable in your body, of wanting to see something else when you looked in the mirror. Well, was that kind of just below the surface, or was it right? You know, like what what was that like? When I was a child, I got glasses long after I actually needed them. My family was really poor, and there was also just a sort of lack of understanding in how much I needed glasses. And when you're slowly getting worse vision is the only way that you engage with the world, you have no sense that you're blind. You have no sense that you can't see. You mm-hmm. you think that everyone has to squint to, to see the class chalkboard. Right. And then you put on the glasses, and I swear to God, I, I embarrassed my parents with how over the top I was that I could see everything. <laughs> um, that I could That I could suddenly perceive detail and see at a great distance and see signs um and that's the best way mm-hmm. i can really really sort of explain this which is yeah, to say no, i think that's a good metaphor you you have a discomfort inside of you for a long time mm-hmm. and you don't like something about yourself and you don't have the words to articulate what it is exactly and it was then in this moment of realization where I got the Rosetta Stone where the eye doctor's lenses dropped and I could could read the letters for the first time that I was able to interpret and understand what I had been feeling up through my life, and especially in my 20s, um, in a new way. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, and it's going to sound silly when you, when you list individual things, but it, it's so commonplace. You know, it's, it's the, the simultaneous hatred of having any sort of facial hair, but also mm. the 
dislike and disinterest in maintaining your body in a way and keeping it pretty or or good looking and so i would both want to have no facial hair and i would also hate to put in time to shave Mm -hmm. uh because i would be working on something that i didn't like and didn't want to invest effort in Mm -hmm. which is to say it's your body and you should probably want to invest time in yourself in that regard but i i didn't i i wouldn't look at myself in the mirror uh and and when that's what you've done all your life you think it's normal you think that's everyone feels this way or or if even if everyone doesn't feel this way what i'm feeling it's 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 a way to engage with the human condition so i realized that in 2017 that i was trans and i realized it mattered a lot to me i so. think that's a really excellent metaphor of of the glasses as stupidly enough someone who's totally blind myself <laughs> right yes <laughs> but i actually had glasses very early on as a girl um nonetheless when i take my glasses off now today you know i can't see shit um but i could imagine what that would be like having gotten much older and then something being introduced where everything just sort of clicks into place and then you can see it clearly or like oh this is this is clarifying that fuzzy thing that was making me uncomfortable or or something Mm -hmm. like that that really makes a lot of sense thank you for putting it that way um intuitively that's i think just a very powerful way of communicating that experience um well well i mean in the time since we last talked um i don't know do we want to continue do we want to talk about me in the present or do we want to talk about the timeline of me getting to the present what do you let's do do the timeline 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 and then and then we can come back around so um i told my ex-wife this my now ex-wife this in 2017 and she cried a lot and felt really bad and felt like she was losing her husband and i told her that i loved her very dearly and deeply and that going through life is about making compromises and I said that I would like to transition. But more than that, I loved her. And I loved what we were building together. And if I had to choose between transition and her, I would choose her. And she went, oh, okay. So if I don't support you, you won't transition. So I don't support you. And we're not going to talk about this ever again. So... I went through the next three years uh, dealing with uh, a lot of turmoil where um, uh, you know, I had told the person I love most in the world about this and had basically just been bodily shoved back into the closet. Right. Um, and for reasons that might not surprise anyone, once that's kind of happened in your relationship, kind of sours things. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would think so. And so part of me continued to be like, well, like, I could get giving this up for a really committed, loving, perfect, well-working relationship. But things between us became very dysfunctional. And um, if my ex-wife ever listens to this, I'm certainly more than willing to take 50% of the blame in that regard. But um, things stopped functioning. Yeah. Um, I'll and leave I'm, it at that. I'll leave it at that because there's, yeah. you know, um, there's, there's, things, there's things about stuff that, you know, even if, even if my wife and I are still not together, she deserves her privacy and her secrecy. Absolutely. What I, what I can say is, is that once the pandemic began, and I didn't have to go into the office. And also, pandemic we weren't supposed to... Time. Pandemic fun times. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the pandemic changed everyone. It turned an entire generation of men into women. Uh, <laughs> so, 
it's the estrogen they put in the water sp- supply while we were all stuck at home in March 2020. Um, <laughs> uh, I started to grow my hair out because I had to because we weren't allowed to go get haircuts, and that was right. a um, was uh, uh, was like, oh no, I'm obligated to do this as, as an upstanding member of society. And as things continued to sort of look bad economically, politically, I realized. Yeah, just, yeah, <laughs> spiritually, uh, I've realized that I really wanted to transition. Um, damn the torpedoes. This was, if the world was going to end and the water wars were going to begin and we were all going to have to spend Trump bucks to <laughs> buy our food rations, then I wanted to transition and live as best I could as a woman before that happened. Um, and I told my wife this, and she said, well, then why did you lie to me? Because you didn't Why? Well, why, you know, if it was always going to come to this, if you were always going to choose to transition over me, why didn't you do it three years ago? Why did you lie to me all this time? And I said, hmm, maybe it's that exact sort of, uh, outlook that has gotten us to this impasse to begin with. Yeah, um, I mean, when you said that, when you said before that you you told her, right, initially that you'd choose the relationship over transitioning. And then, of course, the relationship really struggles going forward. What I was thinking was that I 100% know that you were sincere when you were saying that, but I also think that one doesn't necessarily know what that means or what it's going to be like, right? So, like, yeah. in, your, in your mind, theoretically, yes, I'd rather continue building our relationship than this, but y- you couldn't have known because you hadn't lived it yet what exactly that would do to the relationship or, or, or what it would be like, right? Um, and there's oh. no way you could have known that, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I... I did love my ex-wife. I did want things to go well with us. Um, And I understood that, like I said, life is about compromises. It's about making choices. It's about dedicating yourself to one thing or another. Um, But I will say the sort of reaction of me saying, all right, I, I want to transition, but I want, but I, I need your support. I won't be strong enough to do it without you. And I want, and if I had to choose between you and, me i'll choose you uh and then her very immediate reaction of being like all right okay and then never talking about it again right very much a a job from arrested development i've made a terrible mistake <laughs> like you immediate buyer's remorse on that decision mm. um mm-hmm. but you try to make it work um so yeah that's i mean and also two two things there were other things already wrong with the relationship, so this this was the straw that broke the camel's back, but there were other things. And two, I want to be clear, I, I don't really fault my wife. She, sure, of course. She said, look, I signed up for this, being married to a man. You tell me your gender is a lady. All right. I believe you. I won't push back on it. I won't ask any questions. I... I, I won't try to second-guess you. But my sexuality is straight, and I'm not going to be a lesbian with you. And you know, that's affirming in its own backhanded way. And and I can't fault her. That's, she's 100% right in that regard. Absolutely her choice. So actually, uh, hilariously, for our gentle listeners who have stayed around this long, when... I was interviewed the first time by the, our uh, by our host here back in January 2021. I'd actually <laughs> you already started it up beforehand. Thanks. <laughs> I did. I actually i pulled I pulled it up to. Uh, I was going to re-listen to it before I um, before I came. Um, I'd actually already started to medically transition for a month, and so uh, one of the things I said off off the recording was I was like, okay, so just so you know. I've been transitioning for four weeks at this point because I am trans, but I'm not out publicly. Uh, and also, this is this is the real 
super secret reason I've been radicalized to be moving towards the left. <laughs> right, so, right. <laughs> so, like, there are, you know, to, to bring it back to the name of this show, like, yeah. yeah, actually, you engage with the world very differently when you're like, man, my received gender and sexuality is completely wrong, and I right. am going to tear it down with my bare hands. Right. Um, because but then you know every, everything is fungible. Absolutely. And I think also it's interesting because in leftist discourse, there uh, is this perceived, and I mean, it's it's not just perceived, it's real in many senses in terms of arguments that people get into or different ideological predilections people have. But nonetheless, the, this, this idea that you can either be a good Marxist or you could be a good... Uh, social justice warrior right or you could you can do identity politics but you can't do class politics at the same time it's not true right i mean the conflict that these two groups in the left have had obviously has historically happened but i think your story is just one of many that really illustrates how look um being able to be who you are is a part of liberation and that ultimately is the goal of the left liberation along all lines, along all hierarchies. And when you realize that our received notions and hierarchies and restrictions based on gender are bullshit, then the whole possibility of rethinking all hierarchies is opened up. Yeah. I mean, to to go back to our first episode, one of the things that I really liked when you explicitly talked about Black Cells, and I said it was a very good show, and one of the reasons that I and you've seen it since then. You've you've watched it. You you watched it. I with watched my recommendation. it then. Yeah, you watched I it. I watched then. the yeah, whole uh, thing. Uh, I've already watched of, the whole thing. One of the things that I really like, especially in the last season, is is that the show I think makes a compelling argument that the fight against imperialism or capitalism or whatever you you want to call their take on civilization, sometimes it is violent and direct and sometimes it is about carving out and living the deeply personal and individual life you want to lead that sometimes it's violence and sometimes it's love and I like that. yeah um and what i will say is is that uh being trans is both uh <laughs> let me tell you things have only gotten worse uh, uh but yeah uh i have picked a i have picked oh a terrible God. time to come to the realization I mean, that i was uh that i am uh trans transgender not that there's ever been a good time of course but right now what the right is doing with transphobia is it, it it's it is taking the place if you will of of the jew right that that played that role in Nazi Germany uh, and or and other target minorities and other societies and others time but they've they've found their thing that they're going to use to to fear monger and to push through legislation that that at first will will oppress horrifically oppressed trans people but then if they get their way will also then just be this way of of being able to turn the state into doing whatever they want right absolutely i mean we're we're uh, a wedge issue the the point is is that you you break off the t from lgbt you 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 weaken this coalition of disparate uh Countercultural, and I mean that in a way of opposing the hegemon, you know, the hegemonic culture. Yep. Uh, you break this relationship between this, and you slowly whittle down the letters. And at the same time, by trying to codify and legalize what is a man and what is a woman, you have a lot of tools in your arsenal to start regulating how other cisgendered people live their lives. Right. Exactly. So this. They came, they was, came for the trans first. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they came for the gay people first, and that yeah. they weren't successful in the long run. We now have gay marriage in a lot of the union. Right. I mean, technically, I guess all of the union, but maybe not. Um, but, but, you know, if, if they get their way, exactly. They'll, that's still after, after they 
they totally shut down trans people's rights. That's it's, where they'll go next. It's it's yeah, it's a retrenchment. Uh, it's a it's an update to uh, to their strategy of who who gets targeted and why. And I saw um, the most disturbing thing the other day. I was reading a review for something on the New York Times. Uh, that discussed uh, what the story referred to as queer characters and somebody in the comments uh, wrote as a gay man I am offended by your use of this term queer this was invented by a small group of of people who do not represent gay men and I'm like oh holy shit right like that's bad we have there's a lot of there's a lot of different streams leading into this harbor, this bay of rising tide against against trans trans people and codification of gay people, right. you you see a lot of disparate elements. You have uh, queer assimilationists who believe that uh, heterosexual and cisgendered people will finally accept them if they look look like them and talk like them and aren't publicly queer in a meaningful way. Um, and in that regard, um, divesting themselves from transgender people make it easier to assimilate. Mm-hmm. Um, you have uh, rising fascism and a growing tendency to shift right that seeks to codify and control all sorts of uh, gender gender relations and sexuality and trans people are sort of an obvious target because you can pass things like uh you know genital tests or genital observations to weed out those evil trans people and then there'll be one trans woman in the state who wants to be on a high school team but all of the women in a high school sports team are having to drop their pants to demonstrate they've got the right genitals. And also, they're going to have to submit their period cycles and what have you. So then we're starting to get into regulating birth. It's, it's, it's a many-headed hydra. It's, right. it's a disease. It's, it, is, it is evil, and it is darkly intelligent, and it is dividing and conquering all of us bit by little bit. Right. And it's um, amazing how well, I think what shocked me about that comment that I read is how it can divide people you would think would know better, right? I mean, uh, so take these people who have this desire to say, you know, uh, uh, make homosexuality normative and therefore disassociate themselves with that, which is still far from being accepted, right? right? It's it's a very quistling approach. They'll still line you up against the wall, gay man who doesn't think queer is the right word. Right, like, is that going to save you? That's, that's, <laughs> right, that's, if we don't that's call not you going queer? to save <laughs> you. Know, so, um, I mean, so, so two things I'll say in this regard as well. One, take me for example. I've been a member of the queer community for two to three years at this point, meaningfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't think of another community per se that's kind of like this that informs your life that you come to so late in your life or can. Um, you know, uh, when you decide yourself, describe yourself as Christian, it's probably because you've been raised that since your birth. Um, when you there are, are a few freaks that convert, but whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there are there's and there's. I have a friend who converted to Judaism. You know, I've oh, there's that's a, little, that's a little bit more. You know, I've got I've got friends who have converted or, or have researched. You know, Islam. So like, uh, yeah, I yeah, absolutely. You can, you can. Um, but this is it. Just it's it's something that you come to, and it has its entire has a history, has a long history of queer liberation and oppression and opposition to the state and to norms. And it's behoo- it's, it's, it's falls to people to educate themselves about this long tradition. And I'll say, I've done a shitty job of it. I'm trying my best to get better and to educate myself about a community that I am now like 
deeply enmeshed in and part of. Right. Well, I wanted to uh, talk about that as well. Um, do you want to do your second thing and then bookmark that? Uh, oh yeah. And so then the second, and the second thing I I will say is is that uh, well, just so so one, I mean, it, it kind of leads to the second, which is uh, it falls to people to educate themselves, but then. People are so eager on social media to score points or to demonstrate that they are good and doing the right thing and that received wisdom is always bad. Mm-hmm. It, they get it into their heads that queer is not a reclaimed word but is a slur and so should never be used. And people who use it are just furthering their own oppression. Oh, wow. So they, that's there's some folks who feel that way. I didn't know that, but of course I wouldn't. That's that tends to be. I mean, the the gentleman that you were quoting almost certainly feels that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, right. who knows if it's a sock puppet? Who knows what the reality is? Who knows if he's, you know, been enmeshed in in uh, the gay movement since the 1960s? But the truth of the matter is, is that queers are reclaim reclaim slur. People appreciate and enjoy it because of its lack of specificity and its ability to be an umbrella term that describes a lot of things that are odd, that are queer. And it's no coincidence that there are almost certainly bad faith efforts to destroy the term Mm -hmm. because of its inclusivity. Because once you are not queer, you have to be lesbian or gay or transgender. You can't, you can't have a coalition. You're all just individuals working together. And then you can start picking apart the transes from the lesbians. And then you can start picking apart the gays from the lesbians. Right. So. And it's amazing how within our lifetimes, we've seen, we, we've gone from gay people getting married being this controversial question that as late as 2008, California voted down. Yeah. to social conservatives and the Republican Party completely losing on the public opinion front and the legal front and the legislative front because of the Supreme Court on that question. And now we're moving into this other stage where, yeah, they're trying to like divide people who identify as gay and lesbian from people who identify as queer or trans. I mean, it's just... The movement on this within our lifetimes is amazing. You just said, right, that growing up in East Texas, when were you born? Uh, 1987. Okay, so you're four years younger than me. And and I need to stand up for Texas. It was not East Texas. It was West Texas. Oh, sorry, West Texas. West Texas. Get, get it right, in, Robin. West This is, this Texas. is oppression of Texans here. I cannot <laughs> yeah, believe you. It's a big state. I don't want to use a broad brush. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Thank you. As a I, West Texan. I, in, I, <laughs> okay. In West Texas, growing up in the 1990s, but you still, it just wasn't a thinkable thought or it wasn't, it wasn't. an option, right? Yeah. And then the first reputation you see is just this bizarre transphobic uh, depiction that, that that makes it seem like a mental illness, clearly, in East Ventura. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So the, the speed at which things are changing, it is amazing to live through and interesting. It can be encouraging on one hand, right? Uh, just the uh, incredible turnaround on, on views of, of gay rights. But it's also a reminder that shit can change and right now it seems like it could change for the worst. Oh, it 100% is. It is it is actively changing for the worse. Right. Um especially for trans people. And yeah. um I picked a shit time to figure this out, but like oh, what is it? The the egg is invested in breakfast uh, or the the chicken is invested in breakfast, but the egg is committed. <laughs> You know. Wait, the chicken is invested in breakfast, but the egg is committed. I'm not sure I get it. Uh, so the chicken's investment in breakfast is the egg. The chicken itself isn't on the line. It's the egg that it invests into breakfast. But the Got egg you. gets broken and but the egg gets broken and eaten. It's so committed. you're the egg, right? I'm the egg. Okay. I'm, the egg. <laughs> I, there's, I, I'm not. I have tits now. Like I am. I am. Congrats. I am. I, I, thank you. Thank you. It's you know, 25 you're months. Great, right? They 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 really are. I um, love my tits and, so much, man. Uh, they are. They're, Fucking glorious, just in case anybody is curious about that. <laughs> right, ju- just in case. Perhaps, you know, yeah. And if you're a male listener listening right now and you're thinking, man, I would like to have tits, perhaps you're not male. Um, but, you know, or maybe you are. You know what? It's You know, it's, whatever. Fuck around and find out. Yeah, it's- fuck. A- that's right. Fuck around and find out. Um, 
I so I wanted to also ask though about what I think would although also conflict-ridden and complex uh, definitely seems like it's been a source of flourishing for you which is this community that you've joined and particularly how you you join it that you write you've published yes. shit tell me so, about this because it's so exciting okay so in the past four years or not the past four years my mistake in the past two years I have had a science fiction short story published in a professional rate science fiction magazine. I have co-written four novels and two novellas, and I'm in the process of writing um, a, a third novella and a fifth novel that will come out this year. Um, wow. I've... Uh, yes, uh, you know, you uh, go through a divorce, focus on yourself, and are stuck at home because of the pandemic, making new friends with lesbians and trans gals online. You end up investing in a lot of yourself, and part of that is I really like being creative, and I really like writing. That's really so, amazing. So how did you how did you meet your writing partner? Uh, so um, my writing partner is a, uh, a an award-nominated... Uh, author from Thailand who writes a bunch of science fiction stories. Uh, and centering... that's the genre, broadly speaking, of what you guys write together? Uh, so, but honestly, we've done a lot of um, true crime and uh, urban fantasy, and we're finally moving back to science fiction. Okay, um, cool. But uh, she... Fantasy. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so I don't know what that she... means, but I like this. Um, <laughs> urban fantasy is where... Um, you you know what it is. You just you've never heard the phrase before. It's it's when it is something ap approximating the modern world, um, but there is magic in it. Okay, so, cool. Um, it's you know it's like fantasy where set in an urban built up city environment, oftentimes. Um, uh, and so uh, she writes queer normative characters. Uh, overwhelming focus on um, lesbians and non-binary characters. Uh, and I really, really, really liked her writing. And I ended up actually writing some fan fiction of her writing, as, as one does. And we as became, one does. Like, as one does. Uh, and uh, I became really close friends with her. And then on a lark, she wanted to write a story about a... Uh, she had read some really, really bad um, crime, true cr like crime romance. Uh, she read and some. Read some, and she had yeah, wanted okay. then. Then she wanted to said, write. <laughs> then she wanted to, well. Then she wanted to write some of her own. Uh, right, right. That, that was good. You know, that yeah. was good, exactly. And so uh, she wanted to also subvert expectations of having, uh, say, the powerful white person and the. Um, the, the weak and submissive feminine person uh, or, or Asian person. And so in this regard, uh, we collaborated on an idea where there was a, uh, an arms dealer from Singapore who was uh, hiring an Amer a butch American bodyguard. And um, I, I joked her that she needed an American sensitivity reader so that she would know things like, in the United States, we don't call them villages. We call them towns. Um, you know, and of course you post this on Twitter and someone's like, well, we call it a village in my three mile wide slice of Rhode Island. And it's like, <laughs> you don't count. You don't. No one, no one cares what you call it in Maine. Okay. I'm glad that you live in a borough. No one else in the United <laughs> States lives in a borough. Yeah. Um, it's towns and it's cities and it's suburbs and that's it. That's all yeah. you get as an American. Um, and like uh, hilariously, so like we we collaborated uh, a lot on the uh, uh, on sort of the setting and stuff, and um, actually kind of weirdly and coolly. So uh, we took turns. Uh, the 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 novel, our initial novel, was set up to where uh, she wrote the the Southeast Asian arms dealer, and I wrote the butch American bodyguard. Um, but we, we did some cool things with the setting. We had it set in a different timeline where uh, the United States had descended into civil war uh, in the modern period. And so... Um, oh, yeah, that's a really sort of remote, un unthinkable scenario. It was, uh, it was a little less remote when we started off the process. <laughs> I know. Um, I, uh, that but was I, a 
that was sarcasm that I was. Oh thinking. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> and so I actually, uh, in in a good, uh, a good sort of um, being being a good good educate educating myself. Um, uh, I listened to uh, Robert Evans' "It Could Happen Here" podcast, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, does uh, a really good job, sort of like. Um, laying out the possibility of, oh, of American Civil War. And how that um, would actually maybe look. Exactly. And some of the some of the episodes start with more narrative pieces uh, based on Robert Evans' own experience as a journalist in, you know, Syria and in Iraq, watching as the trappings of a modern society start to fall apart under, you know, artillery fire. Uh, and so one that informed a lot of this, but like two, um, and this is kind of cool. In graduate school with Omnia El Shakri, I read in one of my graduate classes um, Sonala Ibrahim's "The Committee," uh, which is a dark comedy, but not really of. Um, Egypt in the late 1970s and early 1980s and sort of this Kafka-esque negotiating the bureaucracy Mm. and one of sort of the ongoing motifs of it is the uh, pervasive destructive corrosive influence of like Coca-Cola you know that uh, there's, there's a scene where our protagonist is on the street in Egypt and a uh, a street vendor wants to sell him cool refreshing Coca-Cola and he goes buddy these this is hot this is sticky this isn't this isn't refrigerated at all no I'm not going to do it and yet even as he says this the vendor has already put this warm coke into his hand and he has already paid and he is already drinking this cool refreshing coke even though it's syrupy and flat and disgusting and it sort of becomes this it's this metaphor of you know consuming american culture and mm-hmm. uh uh and capitalism and how it has this cloying and disgusting sweetness that lies to you about what it is and presents itself in different ways and that you find yourself committed and obligated and and going along with it even in the act of trying to resist it god and that that's always, that's what always feels so awful. It's it's inescapable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but but I ended up like incorporating stuff like that. Um, we ended up having a joke between the two of us. We um, uh, we joked that the real title of our collaboration was uh, "Can the Subaltern Be an Arms Dealer?" Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like so uh, well because so uh, how many how many books have you written now? Oh well, because it's that it's it's Spivak's old. Can the subaltern speak? You know, so it's you know, and then you know, can and the reply, you know, can the subaltern ride? Um, so uh, at this point, we've written four. We wrote uh, and there one one of the novels that we wrote was uh, extremely trans positive. It, uh, I mean, it was a crime drama, but both of the leads were were trans in different ways. Um, uh, Much better and, than the uh, J.K. Rowling. Uh, yeah, right, yeah, awful. with a trans person, which I learned I just, about. That they called Sarayan, like, come on, guys. Terrifying. Go to hell. Die in fire. So- um, <laughs> um, I- well, and it's, and it's also frustrating because, like, enjoying that shitty video game has become, I mean, it's always been part of the culture war, per se, but... It's not about the game itself. It's not about... It could be the shittiest game on Earth. And by all means, the reviews are terrible. But... Well, which game well, not, are we talking about right now? Oh, I thought that we were talking about the new J.K. Rowling Harry Potter Wizarding School video game that came oh, out. Oh, no. I was talking about the book that she wrote under her other writer's oh, name. Oh, Robert Galbraith, which happens to be right. the name of a doctor which had that... A, had yeah. a trans character in it that was very transphobic. And it's uh, like, yeah. hey, if you're trying to convince people you're not transphobic, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Well, yeah. I haven't heard about uh, the video. Uh, well, and also, um, Robert Galbraith Health was like a he, Robert Galbraith Heath was an American psychiatrist that was anti-trans people. So to like actually then choose as your pen name that is 
it's not a coincidence. Um, yeah, no. Uh, um, God, we could talk all day about that downfall. It's yeah, it's yeah. quite but, sad. Um, uh, but I wanted but, to. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go so ahead. sorry. I was just. I thought I. We were talking about two different transphobic things. Well, yes, we were. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, somewhat in the same universe, though. But I. I did just want to talk a little bit about like how active you are in this community through Twitter because. Um, I find it really, uh, I, I don't know if this is a, a condescending term. I don't know what other one to use. Adorable. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, like really inspiring actually as well. Um, I can't really follow it very closely because I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about in about 90% of your tweets. But that's, that's kind of what I like about it. It's clear that there's this such this rich subculture that has allowed you to flourish and it makes me happy and I'm, I'm really happy for you that you found Thank that. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it is very good for me. Um, I've made a lot of genuine friends that I've, you know, uh, met online and then proceeded to meet in person in terms of that share my interests and also, you know, their relationship with their body mirrors my relationship with my body. Um, in this regard, we are brothers and sisters. Um, right. We... we uh we have a shared engagement with the world in this specific way, and it creates a a language that we understand. Now, having said that, and this is this is something that I do want to say before we wrap up. One of the components of my writing is very much to write. I'm not going to say the trans experience in universal terms or relatable terms, but there was a famous fantasy author uh, who was once asked by a reader, uh, hey, you do a great job with gay people. Could you, are you ever going to write trans people? And she said no, because a trans person's struggle with their gender, is the sum of their identity. That's Their struggle is all-consuming. And there's no way that a normal reader could ever relate to something like that. So, no, I'm not going to write a trans person. And it's frustrating as a trans person to see a fantasy author, famous, right. um, whose job it is, is to write fantastical things that you've never heard of and to make them relatable so that you can read about a dragon, so that you can read about magic. And even though it's not a thing that exists in the world that you've seen with your own eyes, that you can find kinship in it, that you can understand it, that you right. can parse what is being said. And to say, everything in this world, everything is relatable. Except for transgender people right. who just <laughs> so who, who you cannot understand, and also and it's so assumptive. It's it's incredibly assumptive, and two, it's not true, right? Which, of course, it's not. <laughs> I mean, but 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 even it's it's not even it's not even that writing trans experiences can be intelligible to non-trans people. It's that the struggle of being trans is a struggle that people can relate to. Absolutely. They just don't they just don't know it. Like they're maybe they don't look in the mirror and see a face they don't like. Or physically. Maybe they don't feel as if their their body is revolting and that they will do anything that they can to change their appearance. But every single person on this earth has at one point been unhappy with the person they are. Whether it's that they are failing as a partner, whether it's that they are ambitious and they, they're not the place they want to be because of their job, whether they are creative but, but want to, you know, but aren't creating. There's any number of struggles where someone can say, I am here and I want to be there. Right. And that's what being trans is. Being there would feel like being who I am. And I but I'm yeah. not there right now. I mean, I think uh, it's it's interesting you put it that way because I think I I've definitely gone through 
that struggle myself in multiple ways. It's a, uh, everyone. Everyone wants to yeah. actualize themselves in some sort of way. Some and people. It's so, sorry. Some people never have the courage to do it, but every every person has something, a goal, an ambition that just they've not been able to do, that they cannot do, that they are dissatisfied not possessing, and it's the it's that's what it means to be trans. Is it's about setting a goal for yourself and and acquiring it, regardless of I, um, what the world tells you. When you were talking about your experience of, um, yeah, the, uh, uh, of feeling like you're in struggle with your body or or it's not sitting right with you, I actually thought about a, a book I read er, about earlier last year called. Um, Women and Other Monsters by this wonderful feminist author who took all of the myths of Greece, uh, ancient Greece, and sort of reinterpreted them in along a feminist lines. And I'll be honest, I, I was given this book by a friend and I thought it was going to be maybe a little cheesy, maybe a little easy, straightforward, like rah, rah, yay, women, which <laughs> it's not a bad thing, but, is it, but like, I, I wasn't expecting how, it to be. How dare you? How dare you? Speak <laughs> don't you know I am I, one? I mean, I don't. I just, I, I, I guess I thought, I thought it was going to be more like, you know, girl power kind of, kind yeah, of, absolutely kind of middle school girl power themed. But then when I started reading, it's absolutely brilliant book, and she is an absolutely brilliant author. I can't think of her name, but I'm going to put it in the show notes along with links to all of your books, by the way, if anyone's listening and they want to check out Ellie's work. And she talks about in one of the essays, her relationship with her body and just feeling, describing just complete antagonism with it her whole life. And and she's a, a cis woman, um, but it was so compelling and so sad to me um but also helped me really connect some dots between tons of women in my life uh who've had this con- constant struggle with their bodies and that experience of just feeling like this thing is not your friend and it's in yeah. your way and it's holding you back um, so that's what, what that made me think of. And so to, to when you were describing that experience, so it's so absurd to think that, to say that trans people are somehow in their own little circle outside the Venn diagram of human experience, that's a, well, it's absurd. And I, I also and even, think that one of the reasons I love talking with you so much is because, uh-huh. I think, like uh, speaking, you use this term kinship and you know, we've had very different lives and we're very different people in sort of the basic list of, uh, you know, identity, but I've never had as much fun talking about TV shows and and uh, certain, you know, uh, notions of, of, of what you can do with your imagination with an imaginative world. That, that's what I'm thinking oh, well, at. As you. I have with you. Oh, and really I feel like oh. that's the kinship I have with you is that like you get that an imaginative world can have such profound and deep transformative meaning and uh i definitely i need a lot of that in my life Uh, yes good all right awesome (laughs) well well thank you um thank you well and to and to as a slightly okay i mean that's a wonderful place to end like god i will say you know (laughs) i I will say as a Final, final thoughts, final thoughts. Yeah. As a sort of final response to you, I'd say, um, talking about normalizing things, cis people are the number one uh, users of gender-affirming care. Breast jobs, nose jobs, getting, you know, your fat removed, your eyebrows right. blocked, anything. It's about making your body look the way you want it to so That's it conforms right. to I your kn- expectations of gender. I never and, thought of it like that before, and that's 100% correct. Yeah, but when I want a tit job, I'm an abominable Satan uh, right. that wants to hurt children. And no, that's not the truth. But that's what people will want to tell you because it benefits them. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. And two, 
Yes, I love talking about these things with you. Yes, I'm. I I I love getting to be like very dour and contemplative while while describing like you know some random <laughs> cartoon. It's wonderful. Um, dour. I should and I should be a recurring guest star on this show. We should wait till season with, three. With hysterical laughter. Yeah, I mean, I'm just basically. I think now going forward, I'm gonna just call people up when I I feel like hey, I want to talk for an hour with you about this. Right. Well, and I do I do want to if if anyone has listened this long i do want to tell everyone that uh you're one of the first people that found out i was transitioning you were immensely supportive and i even said what that i i wasn't ready to come out publicly then but that when you got around to having me back on your show that's the time that i would be ready to announce that i was trans to the world <laughs> so it took two uh, years sorry about that no and that's <laughs> And that's great because now now I'm actually ready for it. And so in that regard, I really appreciate that you let me do something so vulnerable and special um, and unique on on your podcast. Thank you. You're absolutely welcome. And thank you for uh, coming back on again. And happy happy travels in the future. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you again soon. Very much promise. Indeed. Bye.